A dramatic week in the SEC. Lots going on, lots of headlines. It's SEC Championship Week, but we're not talking about that until later in the show because there's more pressing issues uh, around the Southeastern Conference right now. And to talk about that with me, I am joined by two of the best reporters in the Southeastern Conference. That would be Matt Zenitz and John Talty here on First Down South. Guys, Let's get right to it. Uh, an unexpected, uh, at least for me, it was unexpected. Coaching move happens uh, last Saturday uh, or Sunday, I guess, as Gus Malzahn is fired by uh, the Auburn Tigers. It, it, we now have one of the the premier jobs in the conference open. B- before we get into the coaching search, John, can you briefly kind of walk us through how this? decision came about and and was it was it decided before this Auburn Mississippi State game ever happened did that have an impact on it at all yeah I think ultimately it was uh for the most part decided before uh, the Mississippi State game something that's been in the works I think for a while now and I mean really you could say it's been in the work for years now uh, especially with some of the more influential Auburn boosters who just really didn't have a great relationship with Gus and they didn't believe that Gus was the right guy uh, you know, for this program. So I think when you look at you know, what are the key factors, I think there's a, a few different things that, that jump out to me. One, when you're known as an offensive guru and your offense doesn't look very good anymore, uh, I think that's you know that doesn't typically reflect well on you. Uh, we've talked about Bo Nix's regression in the past. I think that played a role. I think you know he has had success against Nick Saban, but it's not just Alabama that Auburn judges itself against. Georgia and LSU are two key ones as well. And when you look at his overall record against those three schools, it's it's not very good. Um, and I think ultimately, it, you know, there just wasn't a lot of goodwill uh, with between again some of these key boosters. And Gus, and they felt like it was time to time to move on. And so, you know, I think it was uh, in the works for a couple of weeks. I think the loss to the, to Alabama in the Iron Bowl and the way that they lost uh, was a big knock against Gus. I think, as we've talked about uh, a week ago, that loss to Texas A and M and his solid year comments uh, did not play well uh, with some key people. And then ultimately, you know, playing the way they did against Mississippi State, I don't think it pushed anyone off uh, the decision you know, that wanted to get rid of Gus. So the job comes open. Uh, you know, it's been a strange year in the coaching market. There's certainly a lot of things that are unusual about this year. But, you know, I think we, we a lot of folks came into this year saying, well, it's going to be different uh, because you can't fire coaches in the middle of a pandemic. You can't justify making that change. Uh, you can't hold coaches accountable for their record. Uh, fully for a season like this. Matt, it doesn't really seem like it stopped a lot of schools um, from from doing what they felt like they needed to do around the conference. No, instead of being a relatively tame coaching cycle, which would have been the prediction for a lot of people in the coaching world going back to about a month or two ago, it it may end up being an even crazier coaching cycle than, than we normally see. And like John said with Gus, this had been in the works was not a surprise whatsoever. Still skeptical even getting the information that John and I were getting last week that Auburn is actually going to follow through and do this. And obviously there had been rumblings going back even before this year around this time of year, but ultimately made the decision to move on. And obviously at this point now, moving in the direction of finding their next head coach, which at this point, as of 10-15 Tuesday morning, still fair to refer to Kevin Steele as the clear favorite for that job at this point. Has some key money people on his side. There are others 
involved in this, like the school president and some other people to go along with that who want more of a thorough search. But Kevin has some key influential people who are in his corner, very supportive of him and pushing for him to be Auburn's next head coach. So, Matt, you and John both here have uh, have reported that on AL.com. You've, you've got your sources telling you that Kevin Steele at this point appears to be the front runner for the position. I, I would like and look, I know you guys can only speak for uh, for yourselves and you and you you can you report to us what you hear from the sources you trust. But from your conversations with your sources, can you give us. And I'll point to you first, John. Can you give us a little insight, maybe? Because I think it's surprising, right? I, I I don't know that most of the fan reaction I've seen out there to Kevin Steele is particularly strong one way or the other. I don't think they hate the idea. I think Kevin Steele's very respected by Auburn fans. I think it's surprising for fans to see a coaching change result in potentially a coordinator just being promoted permanently. Um, in, in a state where this this state is known for big home run hires um, for these premier jobs, but John, can you can you kind of walk me through what maybe the thinking is behind why Kevin Steele has become a, a favored candidate here? Yeah, and I will just say first, I mean, I, this isn't a done deal yet, so don't you know anything can happen. I would say still, and you know, don't be you know you can't completely roll out them still trying to make a, a big swing at a big name. But I think there's a few reasons why. One, you know. This Auburn team, if you look at the last few years, um, has really, I think, been defined by having strong defenses. And so you, know, you had Gus, an offensive guru, you wrote a book about no huddle, uh, hurry up. His whole identity is around offense. And you look at when they've been good the last few years, uh, you know, that defense last year, I think, was one of the, the, the best in the country. Well, that's all Kevin Steele. You know, Kevin Steele has essentially been the head coach of the defense for years now. Gus has let him do his own thing. He has you know, basically given him full authority, do what you want on defense, I'm going to focus on offense. And that defense has been great. So I think that's something that certainly some key influential people have noticed. Uh, he is a guy who's very well liked, uh, has a very, you know, I think charismatic personality to certain people, uh, has certainly, you know, done a good job of building uh, key relationships with some of these important boosters. And I think he's someone who has had opportunities to go elsewhere and hasn't. Uh, he wants this job. And I think you've seen in recent years, uh, especially the last two, a bit of a trend of people hiring, you know, someone who maybe is a little bit off the radar, maybe isn't that big name, but really wants the job and has a plan for how to do that job. We saw Arkansas do it with Sam Pittman. We just saw South Carolina do it with, with Shane Beamer. Uh, I could see that being some of the kind of rationale here, too, is where you can hire a guy who wants a job. He's a proven veteran uh, defensive coach. You have extra money to – build a big staff around him because uh, he's not going to need as much as you know, Mario Cristobal type ca candidate would. Uh, and he's, you know, he's been there for years and he has been successful on defense. And I think that's why some of these people really like him. So let's talk a little bit about the timing of this search that's going on right now. As you guys said, it's not done there. there there's a lot of diligence being done, or at least, at least it's being made to look that way that they are looking around for different candidates, but in the meantime, as all of this is happening, uh, what we what we are officially calling early signing day happens tomorrow. As we've now seen for the last couple of years, functionally, December signing day has become the normal signing day uh, in most of college football. There are going to be some guys that sign in February, but for the most part, we see most of these top classes filled up 
um, tomorrow. And Auburn's in a really bad spot right now, and it might get worse um, as we sit here and wait for Auburn to name their head coach. As far as you guys can tell, Matt, has that has has the recruiting been a factor at all in terms of the coaching search and in, in really in any way, not maybe not timing, but just in general? They're not going to have somebody in place before early signing periods over. I, I would be beyond shocked if that happened. I don't even know if it can happen. So, I mean, maybe you guys know better than me. John and I talked about this a little bit, but I, I think state law is that you need to have job listed for at least five days before you can even officially offer it to somebody, which if that's the case, you can't even make an offer to, to Kevin Steele, even if he's your guy before, what would it be, Saturday, Friday, whatever. I'm bad at math. Hopefully I'm better at getting information than I am at math. But uh, somewhere in that range, I, I would be very surprised if something is finalized, offered before the weekend at the earliest, and think that it's maybe more likely that this stretches into maybe next week. One, one thing I'll say about Kevin Steele to go along with that, though, and John hinted at it a little bit, something that the people in the coaching industry have mentioned with Kevin, including people that have worked with Kevin, is that if Kevin was not a football coach, Kevin would be a very good politician because Kevin is very good at identifying some of the people who are of most influence, developing relationships with those people, and in, in essence, getting support from those people to go along with that. That's not to take anything away from Kevin as a coach, because Kevin has done a terrific job from a coaching standpoint, has a great resume. For what it's worth, I'll throw out there also, this isn't the first head coaching job that Kevin's had an opportunity to, to get or has been in the mix for since the, the Baylor deal. It was even in the mix or, or looked at as a candidate with Tennessee before they hired Jeremy Pruitt. But some of those relationships have and could, could continue to play a key role with this decision for Auburn. A lot of commonalities between being a, uh, a football coach and a politician, particularly recruiting. Uh, it, it's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of the same skill set, I would say. But J John, in terms of, in terms of what, advantages Kevin Steele would have if he's ultimately the guy that gets the job. You, you mentioned sort of holding the staff together and building a staff around him. Which, which I guess, which elements would you say would be most likely? I mean, I would assume Kevin Steele would probably lean towards keeping a lot of his defensive staff, but would we, do you think in that scenario we would see a shift on the other side of the ball at all? Yeah, I do. I think that you know, one of the names that seems to be bandied about right now uh, is potentially him hiring, you know, if he were to get the full-time job to get Mike Bobo, uh, who's currently the South Carolina offensive coordinator, former Colorado State head coach. I think it's unclear as to whether Shane Beamer is going to keep him on at South Carolina. Uh, so that's one possibility. You know, one of the things that I've heard from talking to different people is that, you know, you can kind of leave the defense the same. Maybe you bump up Travis Williams, defensive coordinator. Uh, you know, you can also, you know, Traveris Robinson, uh, has some ties there as well. Um, you could possibly bring him back. He's, I think, looking for a job after Muschamp got fired too. But I think one of the things that people have been disappointed by is the offense uh, in general and also the offensive line play. So I would be surprised, again, if if Kevin Steele were to be hired as head coach, if he were to keep uh, Chad Morris in particular. I, I, don't, I would be very surprised to see Morris back next year in general. But even with Steele staying, I don't think he's going to be the offensive coordinator. Well, you guys have been on top of this story from the beginning, and uh, I, we will we will continue to, to keep all of our readers at AL.com updated, uh, and you'll also see 
live video updates when we get breaking news wherever you're watching this video right now. I should also mention real quick before we move on from the Auburn coaching search, this uh, this podcast now is a podcast. First Down South is available wherever you get podcasts. It's on Spotify. It's on iTunes. So go check it out. Subscribe there if you just want to listen uh, in audio form and not look at our uh, our beautiful faces while we do this discussion. Every I was about to say the only thing that stinks about the podcast is people can't see that that smiling face from Jay. That's right. Hey, I, I have to give Jay Talks credit, by the way. Like we we both oh, he very busy. Hey, at least John John has found time to to shave. I have not. So kudos to John for uh, being able to multitask and still. Uh, you want to do the I haven't shaved. It just, I have such a <laughs> At least I shaved the head. So I shaved one of the, the two. At least I took care of that. And I'll try to find time to shave the face yeah. before we come back on next Tuesday. Baby face tall teeth down there. So let's uh, let's talk about the other big story. The, the second biggest story in the conference this week being the SEC championship game. Uh, takes a lot to bump that down the list, especially – uh, after what just happened to one of the participants this week, uh, we can we can touch on that or not if you want. Alabama is heading into this game a little bit um, hampered potentially. One, one, I would say probably the biggest piece of news we're waiting on for Alabama is finding out uh, whether Christian Harris is going to be well enough to play in this game. It, it didn't seem to really throw the Alabama defense off that much when he was out. But again, they were playing against Arkansas and Florida is going to be a different situation. Um, before we get into the matchup itself, can, can Matt, can you tell us anything about what we know about Christian Harris and his situation right now? Well, the most recent thing that Nick Saban threw out was that uh, we'll have a chance to, to play in the game. So we'll see how things develop throughout the, the course of the week. But the, the good thing for Alabama is that based on the, the rosters that, that these two teams have, with or without uh, Christian Harris, they're going to be in position to not only win the game, but uh, potentially win this game by multiple touchdowns at the very least. So one of the, the stories I'm working on for this week, which I know John wants me to get done as soon as possible. <laughs> Confirmed. Yeah, it's something where I've gathered feedback from a, a number of different coaches around the conference to get their feedback on the game because the, their opinion matters a lot more than mine does in terms of predictions of how this game is going to play out. And the consensus in terms of feedback on this game from other coaches is that they feel like Alabama is not only going to win, but potentially, as they've put it, potentially going to kill Florida in this game. They do not see it, at least most of them, being close whatsoever yeah, look, winning the winning the SEC East is a big deal, um, and doing it fairly early on in his time there is a good thing for Dan Mullen. But ultimately, we saw that it didn't really matter to, to get there multiple times uh, for Jim McElwain if you go in and get your butt handed to you by Alabama. So it's it's it can be a blessing and a curse to get that extra game. I didn't get to see uh, John's face when I threw out about the story. Did I at least get a smile? You've never talked about that. <laughs> Have to find out later. Yeah, uh, but I mean, I think oh, I'll never know. That was a nice little tease, Dennis. I'm really excited to read that story, as I'm sure yeah. our audience on AL.com is as well. That's well hopefully, right. hopefully, people enjoy it, and I think there will be some interesting things from a feedback standpoint in there, including uh, just to throw out another tease with that. So, even aside from stuff related to the the game, thought it would be good to get so some NFL feedback on guys that will be involved in the game, feedback from people at the NFL level, but even more so. Wanted to get thoughts from coaches around the conference on the Heisman race. So I feel like it was last week's show where we, we talked about 
who we would vote for for the Heisman or who's the favorite at this point or whatever. And one of the things I threw out that was that if you talk to people around the conference, whether it's coaches, players, team officials or whatever, I, I think that a lot of them would go more in the direction of a non-quarterback, specifically Devontae Smith, than what it seems like some of the media people are going with. And that that was confirmed as I gathered feedback for for this story. So I ended up talking to, to 18 coaches to get their feedback on Heisman race and just what their what their pick would be this point at this point if they had a Heisman vote. And of those 18 coaches, 15 picked Devontae Smith. Well, definitely going to be an interesting race. And that is one of the subplots kind of going into this game is, I mean, there are there are conceivably three serious Heisman candidates playing in this game. That in addition to it, uh, John, and I know you've kind of had a little bit closer coverage of Dan Mullen throughout your career. This last weekend was such a strange moment, but it doesn't actually, for people who paid attention to Dan Mullen for a long time, I guess it didn't feel super completely out of character is what I would say. There's sort of an amount of chaos that seems to go along with him. Yeah, I mean, this is, as I've said numerous times, this is who he is. And there are parts of, of Dan that I appreciate a lot. I think he's very candid, for better or worse. I think he can be funny. Uh, but he also, he has this kind of smirking, smug style of delivery that when you're doing really well can be very funny or amusing. Uh, I can think back to, you know, when they beat Ole Miss a few years back and uh, you know, I think it was when they had Nick Fitzgerald as their quarterback, and he had this, uh, you know, line about, oh, like, who else, you know, even recruited, you know, Fitzgerald, and he had a cigar in his mouth, and he dropped a UT Chattanooga, and so he can be funny, but he also has this side of him in which he just can't help himself from saying things that would probably be best not said, and so from the chaotic play of his team, you know, the famous throwing of the shoe, to trying to whine about having to play 10 games to then a day later calling it a football move. I mean, you're just getting the full Dan Mullen experience right now. So, so I think there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of conversation also sort of going around regarding the playoff implications of this game. Just, just to get your guys' opinion on the record for this, in your opinion, is Florida out of the discussion or, or are they even capable of playing their way into the playoffs with a win in this game? Let's, let's pretend for a second that they're, that we, we think they have a, a decent shot of winning the game. Is, is Florida, is Florida out of this at this point? I, I think the only other team in the sec that has any sort of chance whatsoever to get in is Texas A&M and we'll see what happens with them. Obviously it hurts to, to not get, the, the game against Ole Miss, which if you go out and beat a, a team in Ole Miss who's had a respectable year, that, that would have done nothing but improve their positioning going into this. But that, that's the, the only other team, in my opinion, out of the SEC that has a realistic shot of getting in. The, the interesting thing would be if Florida finds a way to, to upset Alabama, which, I mean, obviously it's possible when you have some of the players that, that they have. Uh, the, the interesting scenario would be that I, I think at that point, Florida would have a chance because of beating a, a team that's the, the clear number one right now. But even if Alabama loses, Alabama's getting in. John, any where where do you see kind of the most drama playing out right now in terms of the playoff picture this weekend? Is 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 this thing 
is this thing pretty much decided or, or is there room for chaos at this point even? I definitely think there's room for chaos. And so, so just to hit on Zenith's point, I totally agree with everything you just said. The only scenario, and we're talking full hypotheticals here, so this isn't going to happen. But if Texas, if uh, Florida beat Alabama and beat them big, I'm talking, you know, multiple touchdowns big, Alabama didn't have some catastrophic injury, they just beat them. I could see an argument as Florida's one of the four best teams. So that ties into my next point is that we're going to get a lot of talk this weekend as who are the four best teams? Because with all the mixed up resumes of teams playing different amounts of games, it, some of the key data points that we've used in the past are not going to be there. So you're going to have a strong debate between Ohio State, Cincinnati, Texas A&M. If Clemson loses, you're going to see people pushing a two-loss Clemson team in. There's going to be – I do think there's going to be a very healthy debate. Now, at the end of the day, I think it's most likely to be Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Ohio State. But – I certainly think there will be a healthy debate. And if Clemson loses again to Notre Dame, I think that certainly Texas A&M and Cincinnati and some of those other teams certainly deserve to have a strong consideration for that final spot over Clemson. Because as we all know, a two-loss team has never made it into the playoff. And I don't think Clemson should if they were to lose twice to Notre Dame. I'll throw this out there. So just think about it a little bit more. If Florida beat Alabama, if they found a way to do that, it would be hard to keep Florida out. It would be the best win that any team has had. This I year. agree. And, and you can they write, also have the worst loss of any team, though. Yeah, yeah, but you can write off that loss to a certain degree that uh, had checked out a little bit. I know one coach that I talked to felt like they were sleepwalking through the first half and just weren't focused on that game and were already looking ahead to the SEC title game. So you can potentially write that off and look at their resume the, the rest of the year, which is very strong with the exception of that three-point loss to, to a and If they beat Alabama, it would be tough to keep them out. That said, just to follow up on uh, – just the, the other teams that, that are in the mix to get in or most likely to get in. When Notre Dame loses to Clemson, not if, but when Notre Dame loses to, to Clemson, I, I just don't see Notre Dame getting being deserving of getting in over a team like AM, just based on what I know about those two teams' resumes and what they've done this year. Notre but you Dame, think they will still get in, though, probably, right? Regardless of deserving. I, I say, if, if I were picking it, I would not put them in. I haven't been over, overly impressed with what I've seen from Notre Dame this year. And if you looked at the rundown of their, their schedule, uh, I mean, they, they had the win over Clemson, which came with, without Trevor Lawrence in there. Important to point that out, even though the, the true freshman quarterback is is very talented also. You're still missing the, the best player on that team, the number one overall pick in next year's draft. That makes a difference. And they, they've struggled and had some very unimpressive showings in some other games against some teams that have really – I was about to cuss. I, I held myself back from doing it. <laughs> some really bad, crappy records yes. this year, which should uh, work against them and, and would if I were involved in the decision-making process. Thank you, Matt, for, for keeping this out of the explicit podcast category. Again, for everybody – uh, who's a regular listener or wants to be, we are now on iTunes and Spotify. You can listen to us by searching for First Down South there. Check AL.com often. Just keep hitting that refresh button. Matt Zenitz and John Talty are dropping news as soon as they get it all week. It's a busy week over there. As soon as big, big news breaks, uh, we will notify you on our Auburn Tigers YouTube channel, on our Auburn Tigers Facebook page, uh, for Alabama news, you know we will hit you there on our Alabama channels as well. Lots of stuff going on this week. We we will give you as much of it live as we possibly can, and the rest of it you can find over at AL.com. And thank you once again to our sponsor. This video was brought to you by the Alabama Department of Labor.
Visit your local career center today to learn about our on-the-job training program for employees and employers.